Hey guys, it's time for another episode of Radical Christianity. And this week's going to be a very fun and exciting uh, topic because we are going to be covering the Trinity. The Trinity is one of the most interesting and complex things about the God that we worship and serve. And it's also one of the most controversial. Many unbelievers struggle with the idea that we serve one God and three persons. Uh, you know, they, they they just can't seem to wrap around how one God in, exists in three different persons. And, and, and we're not, you know, it's it, they have trouble dealing with the fact that he is that, that Christianity is monotheistic. It's not, you know, we're not worshiping multiple gods. It's one God. Uh, and they and they use the Trinity, uh, you know, very heavily to uh, justify their unbelief and then to attack the Christian faith. So this is a very hot and heavily debated topic. Uh, so this is going to be a lot of heavy stuff that we're covering. But hopefully we can uh, work our way through it and better understand the Trinity. So let us pray and then we will get into the this week's topic. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather again through the technology of uh, podcasting. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk about your word and to study your word with others to be able to be to be able to reach uh, people wherever they are and to be able to just uh, dive in and search the scripture and to share the gospel with new Christians, people who have never heard it and with and with veteran Christians who have uh, been around for a long time, you know, have been saved for 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 many years. I pray that you would bless this podcast for without you, uh, it, it, it will not be successful and it will not impact the kingdom. I pray that your spirit would be, would come and would join us and that he would rest on me as I tried to, uh, oversee this podcast. And I just pray Lord that you'd give me the words that they would be the words that you would want me to say that though I am a fallen Center and that my mouth is uh, and my tongue are inadequate to 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 speak. That you can still use a, a broken instrument such as myself. So, pray, Lord, that you would glorify yourself through this time. I pray that you would use this time to change lives, that you would bring others to know Jesus and to bow before Him as Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for your sustaining grace and your love and your mercy. May we go forth uh, throughout the weeks and days ahead uh, and just strive to live a holy and, and distinguished life for you. Amen. So the biblical teaching on the Trinity embodies four essential affirmations. So we're going to look at these affirmations to kick it off. The first affirmation is there is one and only one true living God. That's the first affirmation of the Trinity. The second is, this God eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
These three persons are completely equal in attributes, each with the same to define nature. And lastly, while each person is fully and completely God, the persons are not identical. The difference, the differences between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are found in the way they relate to one another and the role each plays in accomplishing their unified purposes. Let me say that again just for clarification. The differences between the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are found in the ways that they relate to one another and the roles each one plays in accomplishing their unified purpose. The unity of nature and distinction of each person's of the Trinity is helpfully illustrated uh, through the following diagram. So, I know you can't see the diagram, but I'm going to do my best to paint a picture so that you can come up with the diagram in your mind's eye. So, there's nothing more fundamental to biblical theology than monotheism. And Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so, again, we do not serve three gods. We serve one God. And the best way to look at it is you have a rectangle. And written in that rectangle, you have the word God. Then, around the rectangle, you have a triangle. And now I want you to imagine that at the top of this triangle is the Father, the left corner is the Son, and in the right corner is the Holy Spirit. So make sure we're on the same page here. You have an empty rectangle, and in the center of the rectangle is written the word God. Then surrounding that rectangle, you have a triangle. Now, the top of the triangle is written the word Father, the left corner says Son, and the right corner says the Holy Spirit. Now, if you will, draw in your mind three lines coming from the rectangle. So, the top line is shooting up to the Father. So, you should have from the, from the center of the rectangle going up to the top of the triangle a line towards the word Father. Then from the right corner of the triangle, you should have a line going to the uh, from the right corner of the rectangle. You should have a line going to the right corner of the triangle, and from the left corner of the rectangle. I think I've confused things here, so let me start again. From the left corner of the rectangle, uh, you should have a line going towards the sun, and then. From the right corner of the rectangle, you should have a line going towards the Holy Spirit. So, now on those three lines, you're going to write the word is. So, basically, it should say God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to exit the triangle. And, you know, the triangle has three lines. When you draw a triangle, it's comprised of three lines. On the bottom line, just in your mind, write is not. And that's going to basically say the Son is not the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you on the right side of the triangle where 
where the Holy Spirit and the Father, there's a line going straight up between those two, you're going to write in your mind's eye is not. So you have the Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. And then finally, you'll write between the line between Father and Son, you'll write is not. So it should say the Son is not the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. And the Father is not the Son. So that should complete your diagram. And I know that might have got a little bit confusing, but just keep in mind that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but the Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, the Son is not the Father, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son, and He's not the Father. So there's three distinct persons in the God, in the one God that we serve. Uh, God, re in fact, it would be contrary for God to be polytheistic because God rejects polytheism and demands exclusive, ex ex exclusive devotion. In portions of scripture such as Isaiah 45.5, Deuteronomy 4.35 and 39, 1 Kings 8.60 and Isaiah 40.18 through 40.18, uh, the Bible says, I am the Lord and there is no other besides me. There is no God. And the new and the New Testament affirms the deity of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, as as we see uh, in portions of Scripture, such as John 17, 3, 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and James 2, 19. In fact, Jesus quotes the Shema or Deuteronomy 6, 4, in a debate with the Jewish leaders. And then Paul continues to teach throughout his ministry that there is one God while recognizing Jesus as the divine human God-man uh, that mediates between mankind and God the Father. So now that we've kind of looked at the four uh, affirmations of the Trinity. We've looked at the idea that even though God exists in three unique persons that we serve one God known as monotheism, let's now cover the implications of what it means to be monotheistic. Because there's only one God, idolatry of any kind is evil, foolish, wrong, and harmful. Worship of other gods robs God of the true of the of the devotion and glory He alone deserves. In addition, idolatry can take many forms. Idols are not only man-made objects, but are anything allowed to compete with God for ultimate loyalty. According to Jesus, money can be an idol. And Mark and Matthew six twenty four, Jesus says, "You cannot serve God and money." All sins such as greed, lust, and impurity can also become indicators of idolatry. Ephesians 5.5 5 and Colossians 3.5 uh, kind of outline, or two portions of scripture that, out, that outline that idea further. Idolatry is very foolish, deceptive, and dangerous, and may even involve demonic activity. And if you want to learn more about how idolatry involves 
demonic activity. Uh, take a trip to 1 Corinthians 10 and read verses 19 through 20. So, there's only one God, and He alone should be the ultimate object of our affection, of our devotion, of our loyalty and worship. For He alone deserves absolute allegiance and obedience. The great commandment that follows the Shema is the obvious implication of monotheism. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's quoted from Deuteronomy 6.5. The one true God deserves all we are and have. He deserves us wholeheartedly because nothing compares with him. Now, that is what the implications are for monotheism. So now we're going to kind of dive into the triunity of God. And we're going to be kind of looking at what it means to serve a triune God. So, as the nature of God is progressively revealed through Scripture, the one God is seen exists eternally, like I've said previously, in three persons. These three persons share the divine nature, yet are different, again, in the roles that they play and in the relationship they have between one another. The basic principle at the heart of God's triune being is both unity and distinction. The God the, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit coexist without either being compromised. Anything that is necessarily true of God is true of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are equal in essence and yet distinct and, and unique in function. The doctrine of the Trinity is most fully realized in the New Testament, where the Divine Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are seen accomplishing the redemption of humankind. While the New Testament gives the clearest picture of the Trinity, there are many hints within the Old Testament of what uh, the of what the Trinity is and what it means for God to be triune. For example, in the beginning of the Bible, the Spirit of God is seen hovering over the face of the waters at creations, and you can read about that in Genesis one two. And the Spirit is elsewhere described as a personal being possessing the attributes of God and yet distinct from Yahweh. You can, you can see that especially in Isaiah. There's three different portions in Isaiah here. Isaiah 48.16, Isaiah 61.1, and Isaiah 63.10. Feel free to open your Bible, read those portions of Scripture, and don't be afraid to read the footnotes uh, down and and hopefully down at the bottom of your Bible there. Some interpreters think that the plurality within God is seen uh, in the word for God Elohim, which is plural, which is in the plural form. Uh, we're not going to necessarily dive into that because I am not a Hebrew scholar. Uh, it's just an interesting. Uh, thought that uh, 
theologians and researchers and uh, students, uh, you know, debate and and talk about. In addition, the use of the plural pronouns when God refers to himself hints at his plurality of persons. For example, then God said, let us make man in our image. That's Genesis 1.27. The plurality of God also seems to be indicated when the angel of the Lord appears in the Old Testament as one who represents Yahweh, while at the same time this angel seems to be no different in attributes or actions from God. This can be seen in passages such as Genesis 6-7, uh, uh, 16, excuse me, 16, 7 verses 10 through 11, um, Genesis 13, or ver let's back up. So you can be seen in Genesis 6, Genesis chapter 16, verses 7, 10 through 11, and 13. It can be seen in Genesis 18, verses 1 through 33. It can be seen in Exodus 3, verses 1 through 4. It can be seen in Exodus 32, verse 20 through 22, Numbers 22, 35, and 38, Judges 2, chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. So as you can see, there are many passages uh, that, that refer to God. Uh, we know where the angel of the Lord talks about the plurality of God and then is acting in accordance of that plurality. And if you listen to Dr. Carl Brogy in uh, the pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, if you've heard him speak on this topic, you have heard him say that the angel of the Lord is in fact Jesus Christ himself. And he, he basically says that uh, this was Christ coming to earth, revealing himself to man before he incarnated himself. Uh, and, and, and the way he backs that up is, is after Jesus Christ comes to earth, uh, you never ever hear of the angel of the Lord appearing to anyone. Once Christ himself is incarnated, you never read of the angel of the Lord in the New Testament. So there are also passages in the Old Testament that call two persons God or Lord. For example, your throne, O Lord, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprighteousness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And that's Psalms 45, 6 through 7. Again, David says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He writes that in Psalms 110 verse 1. The God who said above his companions and the Lord of Psalms 110.1 are recognized as Christ in the New Testament. Christ himself applies Psalms 110.1 to himself in Matthew 22 verses 41 through 46. Other passages give divine status to a messianic, messianic figure distinct from Yahweh. And you can see this in passages such as Proverbs 8, 22 through 31, Proverbs 34, and Dan chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. The Old Testament glimpses of God's plurality blossom into the full picture of the Trinity 
in the New Testament where the deity and distinct personalities of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit function together in perfect unity and equality. Perhaps the clearest picture of this distinction and unity is Jesus' baptism, where the Son is anointed for his public ministry by the Spirit descending in the form of a dove, as the Father is declaring from heaven, this is my son, beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You can read of this in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. All three persons of the Trinity are present and acting, each one doing something differently in this uh, narrative. The New Testament authors employ I try, I try Trinitarian cadence as they write about the work of God. Prayers of blessing and descriptions of gift within the body of Christ are Trinitarian in nature. For example, 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Again, you can see this in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, wherein Paul writes, Now there are various variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So the persons of the Trinity are also linked in the baptismal formula of Matthew 28, 19 through 20, which writes, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are many other passages that reveal the Trinitarian, the Trinitarian, or at least the plurality nature of God. Uh, and, and so that's just all to basically explain and define how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit operate as one God. The differences in the roles can be clearly seen and consistent and are consistently shown in biblical testimonies concerning the relationships between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The uniform pattern of Scripture is that the Father plans, directs, and sends. The Son is sent by the Father and is subject to the Father's authority and is obedient to the Father's will. And both Father and Son uh, directly direct and send the Spirit who carries out both the will of the Father and Son. Yet this is somehow consistent with equality in being and in attributes. The Father created through the Son. And the Father planned redemption and sent the Son into the world. The Son obeyed the Father and accomplished redemption for us. And the Father did not come to die for our sins, nor did the Holy Spirit, but that was the role of the Son. And the Father and the Son both sent the Holy Spirit in a new way after Pentecost to help believers. These relationships existed eternally, even before the foundation of the world, and they provide the basis for the simultaneous equality and differences in various human relationships that we undergo and interact with every day. Within God, there is both unity and diversity, unity without uniformity and diversity without division. The early church saw this Trinitarian balance clearly. Uh, for example, the Athenian Creed, said, which was written in 500 AD, says, We worship one God in the Trinity, and the Trinity in unity. 
We distinguish among the persons, but we do not divide the substance. The entire three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with one another, so that we worship completely unity in Trinity and Trinity in unity. So to wrap things up, this unity and diversity is at the heart of the great mystery of the Trinity. Unity without uniformity is baffling to finite minds such as we carry, but the world shows different types of reflections of this principle of oneness and distinction at every turn. What is the source of the transcendent beauty in a symphony? The human body, marriage, ecosystems, the church, the human race, a meal, or a perfectly executed fast break in basketball? Is it not the large part due to the distinct parts coming together to form a unified whole, leading to, unif to a unified result? Unity and distinction, the principles of the heart of the Trinity, can be seen much of what takes place in life so richly and beautifully. Woven into the fabric of the world are the multiple reflections of the one who made it with unity and distinction, as is as the paralleled qualities of his existence. So, with only five minutes left in the show, I'm going to leave it there. Next week, we will finish up uh, with the Trinity. We will be looking at historical misunderstandings of the Trinity and then practical implications of the Trinity. And then in the following week, we're going to be looking at one of the heads of the Trinity, or one of the per excuse me, one of the persons of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at the person of Jesus Christ, talking about his deity, the understand his understanding of his deity, the implications of his deity, uh, you know, misunderstandings of Christ's deity, his humanity, the implications of his humanity, um, misunderstandings of his humanity. So we're going to be really looking deeply at the person of Christ. And then we're going to look at the Holy Spirit very deeply in following weeks after that. And then we're going to be covering topics such as mankind and God's relationship with creation. So a lot of good stuff coming up, a lot of stuff to look forward to. Um, but I hope that today was beneficial for you. I hope that you were able to take away uh, multiple things. If you were at all confused or got lost, I would encourage you to go back and listen to this again. As always, if you have questions, I would encourage you to call the Bible line. At, at Community Bible Church, Pastor Carl Brogy hosts a, a radio show where you can call in and ask questions. Feel free to call the Bible line and, and ask him some questions about the Trinity. Feel free to contact Community Bible Church by going to communitybible.us. You can go to that website or you can just type in into the search browser, Community Bible Church, Beaufort, South Carolina. It'll show up. Feel free to explore the website uh, and, and make contact through there. You can download an app. It's free. It's called the Search the Scriptures app. So I would encourage you to uh, go download that app. There's many sermons. You can listen uh, to a sermon on the, the book of Revelation. He's Pastor Carl Brogy is preaching on Elijah. You can listen to that. 
There's also called there's also a section called IBS. Uh, that's where um, they look at things such as angiology and uh, Christology and and demonology. So you can you can basically take uh, seminary courses through this app. You can actually uh, get certified uh, in these courses. So those are some resources for you. And finally, you can always live stream the sermon from from Pastor Carl Brogy uh, at Community Bible Church. Uh, you can just go to the website every Sunday. There's a service at 9.15 and 1 at 11. It, you'll, it's clearly marked as you just click in and you can live stream and worship with us there. So with that said, I hope you guys have a blessed rest of your week. I hope that uh, you will go forth and may the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit go with you. Be blessed, my friends.